This morning, we do indeed begin our Advent sermon series, Do You Hear What I Hear? Christ in the Four Gospels, in which we will explore the unique ways that each of the gospel writers, located in different times and different places in history, tell the story of Jesus' birth. Just as we have our traditions, have to be on your table. Perhaps for you that includes ham and turkey at Thanksgiving. The decorations that are on display in your home, the carols that you need to sing in order for it to truly, really be Christmas. Just like we have our traditions, the four Gospels have theirs as well. And so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John each have a unique approach to the Christmas story. Each introduces us to Jesus in a new and distinctive way. And so each week we are going to look at a different gospel story this morning, starting with Matthew. So why is it that Matthew thinks that the arrival of Jesus is significant? Listen now from word from the Lord, from Matthew chapter 1. An account of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Aram, and Aram the father of Amadimadad, and Amadimadad the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers, at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Salathel, and Salathel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, Abiud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, Achim the father of Eliod, and Eliod the father of Eleazar, Eleazar the father of Mathen, Mathen the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon, the Messiah, 14 generations. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, silence within us any voice but your own. Speak to us and allow us to hear. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. 
It's a, it's a strange way to begin a story, is it not? Every preacher has their method to their madness. But if I were Matthew, I, I don't think I would start that way. 42 marginally known and hardly pronounceable names. It seems like a tricky way to start a story, especially a Christmas story. If your family is anything like my family, you know that as soon as somebody around the holiday table starts in on that story, I told you how great Aunt Sally is related to John on your mother's side from your third cousin twice removed. It's time to exit. <laughs> Many times I have observed my father literally moonwalk backwards out of a room having heard that story begun on its way. A genealogy just doesn't seem like a Christmas story. In fact, if we are honest, it is the part of the Bible that you skip. You skip over that chapter to get to the other chapters, the good chapters. The story about Joseph and the angel, which comes at verse 18. This is the part of the Bible that you hope no one asks you to read in Bible study. So that you can awkwardly stumble your way through several minutes of Jehoshaphat's and Zerubbabel's and Uzziah's. On more than one occasion, I have seen a church elder switch papers with their neighbor. <laughs> they can avoid some of those tricky names. Perhaps some of you ventured out into Black Friday sales at North Park Mall, but I imagine you didn't hear Matthew's genealogy over the loudspeaker. It would be difficult. It's also just hard enough to keep track of all the characters sacred and secular in this holiday season. There's Mary and Joseph and Jesus and Santa and the reindeers and the elves and a drummer boy who has somehow made his way into the Bible. I once had a child who raised her hand during the children's sermon to say that she was excited for Santa to bring the baby Jesus down the chimney. There are just too many characters on the scene at Christmas. Why would Matthew start the Christmas Gospel with a list of names? It's a very odd way to begin. Truth be told, in part, I wonder if these stories seem odd because we are so familiar with them, with the Santas and the elves and the reindeers and then the Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus that we forget that these are, in fact, very strange stories. Growing up, my family attended a large cathedral congregation in Charlotte, North Carolina, and one Christmas Eve, my three-year-old sister, about four pews back, decided during the middle of the service to stand up on the pew and scream, Where are the sheep, Mommy? Where are the sheep? <laughs> Just imagine being my mother in that moment. My sister might have only been three, but she knew the Christmas story. Mary, Joseph, angels, sheep, shepherds. We are so familiar with these stories that we forget that the birth narratives of Christ are in fact very strange stories. 
to those early writers of the Gospels. The stories of Jesus' birth are strange stories because they are subversive stories, meaning they are stories that turn the world upside down, stories that are meant to challenge the conventional way in which the world was seen during the time of Jesus and the time of early Christianity. Perhaps for some of you, when you were little, if you went outside and played on the playground, you played on the monkey bars. And you would hang upside down on the monkey bars by your legs. And as you did, it flipped the world. The buildings seemed like they were in the sky, and the sky seemed like it was part of the ground. That's what this story is doing. Flips the world on its head. In the first century world of Matthew's Gospel, which was written down sometime close to the time of the first century, roughly 50 to 60 years after the death of Christ, if you're looking at the world right side up, power belonged to Rome. The Roman Empire, with all of its military and its economic and its political and its ideological power, Rome shaped the story. History books commonly name this time, which was in many ways a time of great flourishing, the Pax Romana, or the Roman peace. For 200 years, Rome enjoyed internal flourishing and stability and minimal unrest among its territories and its borders. It was also true that this peace for those in power often came at great cost to those who lived under the empire's control. There were plenty of Caesar's boots on the ground to help maintain that peace and that order. Caesar Augustus was the emperor in charge. He ruled through what was called divine right. And so people understood that Caesar had been chosen for special purposes. This is what people thought about Caesar. Listen to this passage from an ancient inscription about Caesar Augustus. He is the most divine Lord, the beginning of all things, he is sent to us and to our descendants as our Savior. He's put an end to war and put all things in order. The Lord, having become God incarnate, has fulfilled the hope of earlier times. The birth of our Lord has thus been for the whole world the beginning of the gospel concerning him. Therefore, let a new era begin from his birth. Lord, Savior, God incarnate, let a new era begin from his birth. When Matthew says that this is a story about Jesus the Messiah, son of David, son of Abraham, he's taken the words about the emperor 
and he's turned them inside out and upside down. Matthew says that those titles, Lord, Savior, Redeemer, Messiah, belong not to Caesar, but to Jesus. Jesus, who will be born a child, to unknown parents far from the centers of power. Not Caesar, Matthew says, is the embodiment of God's will on earth. It's a strange story to tell. It was a strange story for Matthew to tell then, and perhaps it is a strange story for us to tell now. Because we won't tell this story if we think that the emperor has a better story. The emperor knows how the world works. The emperor knows what you need to do to get ahead and stay ahead. The emperor knows the military budget should be bigger, even though no one defied the armies of Rome. Emperor says terrible things about people, that they are lazy and stupid and not fit to be part of the emperor's world. He would send them back where they came from, except his armies already carried them away from their homes in the first place. No, Matthew says. If you look at the world upside down, there's one who rules who has a different story to tell us. That story is of Jesus the Messiah. And it is through that child that God will act in the world and in your life and my life, not coercively, but gently, not forcefully, but lovingly. That child will grow up, and God will come, we believe, not as a conqueror, destroying enemies or putting things right, but a child, and a child who will teach us the most astonishing things, that it is better to forgive than to enact revenge, that it is better, that it is happier, in fact, to give than to get. But it is a far better thing to love than it is to hate. God in Jesus Christ will teach us that the peacemakers are blessed, that the meek and the merciful and the poor are God's favored, and those who suffer under the hands of power are closest to God's heart. And of course, the strangest thing of all, that real strength, Real power is not in might, but of all things, vulnerable love. Love. Like the love of a child. It's a strange story to tell the world. But Matthew's not done. 
What makes this very strange list of ancestors stranger still is that Matthew says that the upside-down kingdom of God will be structured not by imperial rule or functional or even dysfunctional democracy, but family. Normal, messy, inclusive human family, linked together by God who is parent of all. And so Matthew lists them, beginning with Abraham, all the way down through David, the members of God's family who culminate in Jesus the Christ. Perhaps your family has an accounting of your ancestors. Toward the end of his life, my grandfather spent countless hours tracing our family's history into books and stacks of books and charts and family trees all the way back to John Piper, who came over on the Mayflower. He was so proud of that work. Matthew, too, has put together this family tree. But like Matthew, being so careful to order this story the way he's ordered it, it is, you might have guessed it, a strange family tree. You probably heard maybe a few familiar names in that long list that I stumbled through. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, and his brothers. That sounds all right. But in between Israel's patriarchs, Matthew has snuck in a few names. Did you hear them? Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, the wife of Uriah? What's wrong with these people? They are women. Four women. Women were never included in the genealogies. Ancestry passed from father to son. But Matthew says in Jesus' family, Men and women are instruments of God's purposes. But that's not quite strange enough for Matthew. Almost all of these extra relatives are not Jewish. How strange. These women are Gentiles and foreigners. Matthew says they, too, are instruments of God's purposes. But that's not the strangest of all. The strangest of all comes at the very end. Joseph. Sweet Joseph. How in the world is Joseph included in a list of Jesus' relatives? You know the story. The Holy Spirit comes to Mary... Joseph isn't the baby's father. No, Matthew says. As it turns out in Jesus' family tree, you don't have to have royal blood. You don't even have to be blood-related. Patriarchs and kings, Jews and Gentiles, women and men, spies, foreigners, 
reluctant stepfathers. This is God's strange and holy family tree. Held together not by royal lineage or by blood, but by love. It is through love that Rahab and Tamar and Ruth and the wife of Uriah and Joseph are adopted into the family of God. And that's the truly good news. The genealogy isn't finished. Through Jesus, so too are you and I added to the holy and loving and messy family of God. Perhaps some of you have seen illuminated Bibles from the Middle Ages. They often depict this story from the Gospel of Matthew, this genealogy, as a giant family tree. Mary and Jesus stand atop the tree, almost like the star you place on your Christmas tree. And then the members of the family listed by Matthew descend on its branches. But my favorite part is that the writer of Matthew's Gospel is off to the side in the margin. And his pen is poised, not with the cap on, but with the cap off, pen in hand. Matthew is still adding more names to Jesus' family tree. You and I are included. This week, Reverend Kathy Lee Cornell passed along a lovely story to me about two perfect strangers who become family. Four years ago, a woman by the name of Wanda Dench accidentally invited teenager Jamal Hinton over for dinner. Accidentally, because she sent a text message that was meant for her 24-year-old grandson. But her grandson, I'm sure this has never happened to you, had switched his phone number, and he hadn't told her. So Wanda sends this text message inviting her grandson to Thanksgiving dinner. But her grandson didn't get the text message. Instead, 17-year-old Jamal Hinton got the text message. There was some initial confusion. But thanks be to God for technology, the two sent selfies back and forth and confirmed the mix-up. They chatted a little bit and laughed over text. But then Hinton asked if he could come for dinner. And Dench texted back, of course. That's what grandmas do. They feed people. So Jamal Hinton came over to Wanda Dench's house for Thanksgiving. He did it that first year, and he's come the next three years after that. When interviewed for the story about why she would include a total stranger at her holiday table, Dench said this. She said, family is more than blood. It is the people that you want to be with. How strange, I think the writer of Matthew's Gospel might say with a smile. In Jesus Christ, our tables, our hearts, 
our lives are extended, such that we all become part of God's holy family. Look around. For better or worse, these are your relatives. The family of God. Do you hear what I hear? In the midst of Christmas trees and twinkling lights, of Santas and elves and emperors, there is a quieter story. A quieter, stranger story of Jesus who is the Messiah, Christ the Lord. He will come this Christmas with a word not to make us afraid, but with a word of love that thanks be to God makes us family. Friends, will you allow Matthew to add your name to God's family tree this Advent season? I hope so. All thanks be to God. Amen. <laughs>